Hey everyone, you're listening to the MLEPC podcast. Thank you for joining us. The podcast features every previous Sunday's sermon and plenty of other cool content like interviews and mini-series. Please remember to share our content and subscribe to our channel so you can stay up to date with everything that we create. You can find out more about what's happening at the church by visiting our website at mlepc.org or checking us out on our social media. Once again, we thank you for tuning in to the Emily PC podcast, and we hope to see you at an event soon. It truly was a blast yesterday. We were praying for rain and watching, praying against rain and watching the weather forecast all week, and it just barely sprinkled. Um, but the most amazing thing to me was seeing all of you come together to tell the story of the Bible from start to finish. It, it really was an amazing thing, and um, we had, I, I, I was right next to the teenage booth. And they're mostly always in the balcony, so thanks, guys, up there. Um, and they were amazing to hear teenagers telling the gospel story and the gifts of the Spirit over and over and over. And these kids were just, you know, like, open-jawed looking at these, at these grown, you know, grown teenagers who were the cool people. <laughs> you know, forget us older people. But um, it was just so joyful to see that. And trunk after trunk after trunk of people. They, when the, the choir started singing, the kids were like, Christmas. <laughs> it was just such a joyful time. Uh, we estimate the crowd, we gave about 320 hot dogs, so we think the crowd was probably around 350 people. Some of them had never heard the gospel before, ever. Like, you know, people from different nations and, and languages and everything, and it was so joyful. So, and if you're checking out our church for the first time because of that, we are so grateful that you're here, and, and we want to be as welcoming and as full of the Spirit as, as we were yesterday. So, um, you know, we, our church used to do a thing called the joy of sharing Christmas where we tell the whole Christmas story. I feel like trunk or treat is kind of the alternative to that now. And to be able to see hundreds of people getting to hear the gospel all at one time was just truly amazing. So thank you so much for, for your engagement in that. As we turn to scripture today, we do have uh, the story, as, as Ashley was just saying, of the feeding of the 5,000. Um, we are looking at Jesus Christ, who is the bread of life. This is sort of a two-part sermon. You get to hear me this week and Pastor Steve next week, We're continuing the story of Jesus proclaiming that he's the bread of life. Um, the, the story today is, is not only the feeding of the 5,000, but also the story of Jesus walking on water. Um, two amazing, incredible moments in Scripture where we see Jesus reveal who he really is. So let's turn to Scripture now. We're first going to talk about, uh, read from Deuteronomy to, to hear the Old Testament words about God providing bread for us. This is Deuteronomy 8, starting with verse 1. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you and causing you to hunger, then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And turning over to John 6, this is John 6, 1 through 21. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him. 
because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up to the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what, what he was going to do. Philip answered, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will that go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves and gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. They did this, he did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that were left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is coming in to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went out to the lake. When they got into the boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum, by now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters approaching the boat, excuse me, the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat and immediately, immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Can you imagine this scene of Jesus Christ and all of these people? The, the image of that, uh, the, the, that, that picture of the parade. Look, think about a crowd that size and Jesus looking over them. At this moment in the other Gospels, it tells us that this happened right after John the Baptist was beheaded. This is somebody that, you know, it was, it was Jesus' cousin, and it was someone who had been faithful to proclaim, prepare the way of the Lord. He had been faithful to, to point people to Jesus when he could have kept the glory for himself. John the Baptist wanted Jesus to, to, to be the one, to, to be lifted up. And yet John met a, a tragic ending, and Jesus was grieving. And his disciples were grieving, and they, Jesus gathered them together, and they went to the mountains to have a retreat. Now, when you are tired, and you see a crowd like that coming at you, what do you want to do? One of the teenagers had, had ridden all the way down the parade route, and by the time she got to the trunk or treat thing, she was an introvert, and she was like, it was enough. I'm done with crowds. So you can imagine the disciples and Jesus like, I need time out. I can't deal with them right now. But that's not how Jesus responded. He saw this crowd and he had compassion on them. He saw them as people who were hungry for spiritual food, who, who deeply needed God in their lives, transformation in their lives. One of the other gospels says that he, he healed everyone who was sick in that crowd. 
He had deep compassion on them. A lot of people in our world today struggle with how God looks at us. One of my nieces has struggled with this a lot. She, she spends a lot of time in the Old Testament, and she keeps texting me. She's a sophomore in college, and, and she's like, God seems so angry. But then she's been praying about that, and I've been praying for God to show her his heart. And she texted me Friday night, and this is what she said. I think I got the feeling that God just wants us all really badly, that he's just really heartbroken that when we don't get it and not angry. Jesus Christ saw this crowd. He wasn't angry with them for coming and, you know, feed me, feed me. He had compassion on them. He was heartbroken for them. He saw all of these lost people, and he wanted to gather them together. As, as we think about this story, we think about the absurdity of it, because it just seems so impossible. He turns to Philip almost to underline the absurdity of it, and he says, so Philip, where are we going to get bread for these folks? <laughs> like Ashley said, how would you find hot dogs for all of those people? It, it, it's just absurd. The question is absurd. And Philip is, is always there with a practical answer. He's like, that would take more than half a, half a year's wages just to give everybody a bite. Like, Jesus, you're, that's not even possible. But it's interesting to think what Philip should have said. In the Old Testament, in um, Isaiah 55, it says, Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest fare. They had seen Jesus do miracles. They had seen Jesus create a ridiculous amount of wine at a wedding. They had seen him heal impossible people. And yet they couldn't see that God could meet this need in a powerful way. They could only see the lack. They couldn't see God, the provider of, of all that sustains us. They could only see what was impossible. Philip was very practical. He saw the response. Then Andrew comes up. Andrew's like, almost like he wants to prove how impossible it is. He finds this kid who has food. And he's like, well, here's five loaves of bread and two fish. This, this is like nothing here. He's like, go ahead, make my day. <laughs> and here's this little boy going, wait, that was my lunch. <laughs> But Jesus sees the little that this little boy brings, and he knows that what little we bring to him is more than enough. And he took that bread, and he broke it, and he gave thanks for it. Have you ever been in one of those situations where you have absolutely nothing, and yet you're still able to give thanks? That is hard to do. It is a discipline that I have not perfected in my life. One of the heroes of the faith of the 1800s was a man named George Mueller who ran an orphanage and he was always running out of everything, trying to take care of these kids in the middle of England. And there was one time that they all sat down at the breakfast table with nothing on the table. And he sat there and he prayed and he thanked God for their daily bread. And then they hear this giant commotion outside and realize a bread truck has just crashed right outside the orphanage. <laughs> and there was plenty of bread for their breakfast that day. God provided in amazing ways, and he's still doing that. 
God is able to do this as, as we give thanks for what he's providing. We put our faith and our trust in him, not in our ability to, to fix it, to solve the problem, but in Christ's ability to do this. In the Gospel of John, um, the, in, in other Gospels, Jesus hands the bread to the disciples and then they distribute it. In the Gospel of John, he wants to emphasize that it is Jesus providing this. So he just skips over the disciples' part. Jesus distributes. doesn't say how he distributes. He just starts to distribute. And in every broken piece, they break another piece, and it grows, and it grows, and it grows. And 5,000 men and their families all sat down on fresh grass and were able to partake not just enough, but more than enough. One commentator pointed out that, that the little boy who gave of his lunch, he gave it to Jesus, and then he had more than enough as well as everybody else having more than enough. The, the offering was, was very meager. It was barley bread, which is the, the bread of the poor, the peasant bread. It's not the, the bread of, of wealthy people, but this humble offering became a feast for all of these people. When we think about what this, this means in the, in the light of the, of the whole Bible story, we think about the provisions of God, especially uh, it, it says at the beginning of the passage that this is the Passover season. So this is the, the theme already in everyone's hearts and the, the, the people being ready and the, the bread being provided and crossing through the Red Sea and then discovering manna to, to meet their needs in the wilderness over and over and over. This isn't the only time that barley loaves are multiplied either. The prophet Elisha had to feed a hundred people with 20 loaves of bread, and he was able to pray about that, and, and everyone had enough bread, and there were baskets full left over. God is able to do this over and over, and the people, when they see this giant multiplication, they realize that this has to be something incredible. They immediately think, this has to be the prophet. In the NIV, it's a capital P, the prophet. They knew that the Messiah would come in the, in the path, in the, in the footsteps of Moses. So Moses helps bring manna to the world. Now this guy has to be the prophet because he too is bringing bread. This has to be the Messiah. And what is their response? Their response is not worship. Their response should have been gratitude and worship. Instead, they choose to seize Jesus Christ by force. The word isn't just make him king, but make him king by force, to seize him. They saw in him not the Holy One of God, but the solution to all of their political problems, and they wanted to grab him. They wanted to, to hold on to him and, 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 and change their world to, to vanquish the, the Romans, to, to establish their own rule in their country, but they didn't see all that Jesus Christ was. It seemed to be a, an automatic thing. N.T. Wright in our study guide says, the crowds have misunderstood what such a prophet might have, might have come to do. They were looking for another act of political liberation. But Jesus was offering something far greater. They wanted something that was the equivalent of five lo loaves, but Jesus had 12 baskets full of leftovers. He had so much abundantly more than they could even imagine. They saw a, a, a human fix to a human problem, and God saw something that was of eternal value. 
So how does Jesus respond to that? I mean, it seems like the shortcut to him being proclaimed the Messiah, wouldn't you want to grab onto this opportunity? Good PR, look at the miracles he's done, and he can seize power. But that's not what Jesus does. He has an amazing ability to slip through crowds and, and to slip away. So he slips away and goes up to the mountains to have that retreat with his father that he had been wanting to have all along. This crowd is, is, is you know, energized and, and, and excited and trying to grab Jesus, but Jesus disappears. And yet the disciples are left there, and they're like, uh, so what do we do now? <laughs> and they see one boat on the shore, and they're like, okay, this is our way out. So they go down to the shore. Jesus literally leaves them in the dark. This is the evening. The evening comes, they head for the boat, and they try to get out of there. These guys, many of them are fishermen. They know the Sea of Galilee really well, so they're like, this is our easy ticket. We'll go home to Capernaum, where Peter's from. We'll hide in his house. So they get in the boat, and they start rowing, and they start rowing, and they start rowing, and this wind comes up. I was, I was uh, one of the times I was in Israel, we were eating St. Peter's fish at a restaurant um, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and all of a sudden, it was a beautiful day, and we were sitting on the patio outside, and all of a sudden, a windstorm came up. We couldn't believe it. Like, patio umbrellas went flying, the, the waiters were all trying to tie everything down, and it was just, it happened in seconds. And this was a, a, a small windstorm. It wasn't as, as violent as what these guys are facing. But suddenly, these guys who knew this lake so well were unable to reach the shore. The timing of, of this uh, from one of the other Gospels says that they, they basically rode for like six to eight hours fighting against this wind. Can you imagine how exhausted you would be constantly fighting and not getting anywhere? Boy, how often do we feel like we're fighting against something, fighting against a foe, and we are, we are working our hardest to try to overcome it, but we're not getting anywhere. We can't do that with our own strength. We can't fix it with our own strength. We can't fix it with, with, with money or five loaves of bread. Only Jesus can fix that problem. And along comes Jesus. Can you imagine that moment when the disciples look up and they see somebody walking on the water? <laughs> this just doesn't even fit in human comprehension, even though they had just seen this incredible miracle of, of nature transforming five loaves of bread into 12 baskets full of leftovers plus enough for a huge crowd. Even with all of that, they still couldn't believe that it was Jesus. And when they, when they see him, he cries out, it is I, do not be afraid. He's using here the, the statement that he uses many times in the book of John, I am. It is I, is ego me. it is I am. Once again, he's calling back to the God of Moses in the burning bush, I am that I am. He's proclaiming his divinity. Guys, son of God, I'm divine. I'm in control of the whole universe. You do not need to be afraid. And they, they, they realize, they overcome their fear, and they welcome Jesus into the boat. It's, it's an interesting moment. Huso Gonzalez, one of my favorite uh, Hispanic uh, theologians, he, uh, he comments about this. You know, it's kind of sort of simple. Like, Jesus needs to get to the disciples, so he walks across the water, as one does. <laughs> And he gets there, and the disciples say, like, yeah, but then like, oh, yeah, it's Jesus. He does crazy things. Come on in. 
It's an amazing, simple moment. And in the book of John, this doesn't get a huge amount of, of press time. But it's this incredible moment when Jesus overcomes all of these obstacles. And my favorite moment in this story is that last line. It says, immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Immediately, right away. They had been rowing for hours and hours and hours and not making any headway. And yet, with Jesus, instantly they got there. The one time I've ever been sailing was not a great experience. A friend of mine, her family had a, a sailboat on the Chesapeake Bay, and she invited me and some friends. She was the only one who knew how to sail. Taking a 24-foot boat out with one person who knows how to sail is not the best idea. And we got on the bay, and it was a beautiful day. Everything was calm. Well, then a windstorm kicked up there. There was a, a small craft warning. There were white caps all around us. We're seeing, you know, giant container ships and trying to make our way on this little 24-foot boat. If there's a small boat warning, that means 25 feet and under need to go home. And we're like, okay, let's try to get there. So we turn the boat around, and we start heading for, for Annapolis where, where the dock was. And, and we're tacking back and forth like this, like, we are not making any headway at all. We can't get there at all. And, and then, because we don't know how to sail other than the one person who's trying to, you know, steer the boat, uh, one of the lines on one of the sails breaks, and we can't make any headway at all. We did have something that the disciples didn't have, a motor. <laughs> but that's the great shame of sailors, to have to motor, you know, come in under power. But we finally made it home. But it reminded me of this, this like, we can't get there. We were just back, the wind was coming straight out of, out of home. And we were just, we couldn't get anywhere at all. But Jesus steps onto this boat. And immediately, instantly, they didn't even need a motor. Jesus got them where they were going without effort. They just had to trust in him. It was this incredible moment as God transforms this moment. As we, as we were, I've been praying about this all week. I've been trying to figure out, okay, what does this mean for us? It, my question for you, what does this mean for us on a Tuesday? How does this fit with our lives? As we were talking yesterday and getting everybody ready for a trunk or treat, Pastor Steve always does an evangelism training, just a quick 30-minute, uh, here's how we tell the story of, of God and what he's up to. And he pointed to that evangelism tool we preached about a few months ago, uh, the, the gospel as told by three circles. And the three circles are God's design, the brokenness of the world, and the gospel. So God designed the world to be perfect and at peace and, and to have perfect provision. And then sin entered the world and we got brokenness. And boy, is this world ever broken. I think everybody can agree with that. But Jesus, God didn't want to leave the world in a broken place. He wanted to restore it. And to do that, he had to do it through Jesus Christ. And that's where the gospel comes in. God is a redeeming God. He wants to open a pathway for us to have a restored relationship with God. To heal all of the things that were broken by sin and to heal our relationship with God. And as we talked about this, Steve said, okay, so how does your trunk fit into this story? We had 16 trunks telling everything from Genesis to Revelation. To, and he's like, how does this, this turn into the story of God and the story of the gospel? And Liz Mayfield's trunk was creation, so that one was easy. This is, this is God's design. This is how it's supposed to be. The Adam and Eve trunk was pretty clear about, about brokenness. 
And, but it was really interesting to see. I, mean, I, I had the, the empty tomb, so that one was pretty obvious. That was the gospel. But yet, and he said, okay, where else do you see the gospel in your trunks? And one after one, another after another realized that there, every single story that we were telling yesterday fit within this narrative. God's perfect design, the brokenness of the world, and the redeeming power of the gospel. One of my favorite little kiddos, Lulu, was so excited because her trunk was the lost sheep. And she's like, mine is the gospel. (laughs) I heard from trunks next to her that she told it over and over with such passion. How could you not believe? And as we looked at all of these stories, we saw how it fit within God's redemptive narrative. How it fits in the story of how God is changing the world. And this story does the same thing. Think about God's design. When God created the heavens and the earth, he intentionally created more than enough food for everyone. That on, the, on day five, he creates all the food that was needed. Or four, was it four? <laughs> he creates all the food that is needed for creation. And then the next day, he creates all the animals that needed that food. Even scientists these days can't quite understand why there was this great leap forward in, in, in life. Well, it started with God providing enough food. And Adam and Eve had enough food in the garden, enough that they could ever want. And yet, sin entered the world. They ate of the one tree that they were not allowed to. There was brokenness. And we see that brokenness continue on and on because that brokenness made a a break between us and God. So the brokenness in, in those people, they were coming, they were hungry, spiritually hungry, physically hungry. They needed healing. They needed hope. They were oppressed by the Romans. They were surrounded by brokenness. And they were looking for anything that would heal that brokenness. They were searching uh, for what would fill them. And we do the same thing, don't we? We look for what would fill us. We, we may fi- try to fix our, our emptiness with money. We may try to... It, Fix it with what little we have, taking little morsels at a time. We may try to fix it with political power. Or we may try to to fix it by working as hard as we possibly can to the point that we are completely burned out and exhausted. But none of this is ever enough. We find ourselves afraid in the middle of a storm, rowing with all of our might and having nothing. But that's not the end of the story. Jesus Christ is the end of the story. Jesus Christ comes in and he has compassion on those who are lost, who are, on those who are in need, on those who are hungry, on those who are sick. He has compassion on them. God really is heartbroken for us, for the world, to draw people to himself. He has compassion on them and he provides for them. He provides physical food, but wants to remind them that he is not just the physical solution. He is the spiritual solution. So that's what we'll hear about next week. Jesus Christ is the bread of life. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the the mouth of God. And he is the one, the maker of heaven and earth, who is able to calm the storms, to even calm all the storms in your life. I've told you I I use a a commentary written by Africans. It's called the African Bible Commentary. And it's always good to check my sort of American assumptions against how other Christians read the Bible. And it's amazing to read this passage with Africans in mind. 
one thing that this said, he will be with us as we go through the storms of life. Whether these storms involve lack of money or food or health or wars raging around us or any other calamity, Jesus Christ will be with us. And it is, it's a simple moment. Jesus Christ is standing right there saying, it's me, don't be afraid. It's me, don't be afraid. And all we have to do is welcome him into our boat and he will get us where we need, where we need to go. Jesus Christ is the Lord of life, the bread of life, the living water, the one who overcomes and the one who was the head of this church, the head of, uh, of all of the faith and the one who welcomes us to boldly approach his throne of grace so that we may receive all that we need and much more left over. Hi, this is Pastor Carolyn. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can check out our website at mlepc.org and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a podcast. Have a blessed day.